Mickey Johnson is our guest for today on Human Becomings. Mickey Johnson is the co-founder of Job Trades and she is interrupting. And when I say interrupting, she's disrupting and she's being an innovator in how she is really embodying good positive leadership in her organization. Mickey, it's such a pleasure again to have you on Human Becomings. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And of course, we have the great Annalie, my co-host as well. <laughs> Hello, guys. <laughs> so, Mickey, um, I've always been fascinated, ever since I met you, with how you actually not implement, but you embody leadership in the form of hardship. So let's talk a little bit about how can we reframe work as a place to become a fully actualized version of our souls and to learn collaboration, I, you know, how to collaborate with people whom we disagree the most or who are very different from us. And how do we build that trust amongst people who are different from us? So I'm going to pass the floor to you and that explore your heart and your mind <laughs> yeah I mean it's a big question um I'm trying to even go back and figure out like where it came from for me this idea that work should also be a place where we're doing our personal work um I'm sure it probably had to do with when I moved to San Francisco um I moved to San Francisco around uh 2000 early 2009 um and I had been in New York before that, in Chicago, I grew up in Ohio. And, um, you know, those are places that I think uh, people don't spend a lot of time thinking about their feelings. <laughs> they certainly don't spend a lot of time talking about them. Especially in New York, you spend a lot of time getting stuff done, mostly. <laughs> um, and I did a lot of that. Uh, and it really sort of like fed into my type A personality and all of that kind of stuff. And um, the thing I always say about like why I think San Francisco was such a great move for me is that like I didn't really need a city that reinforced that like I needed a city that was like whoa you need to chill out a little bit <laughs> um, and San Francisco's really good at that um, and so you know I came here and I'd always had a lot of stomach problems and like just sort of like body pain and being sick a lot and certainly like anxiety and stress that I dealt with and this was the first place where I came and actually people at work like the founder of the company that I worked for out here was like oh you should go see this nutritionist I know and this internal organ meridian massage therapist and you know like sort of classic like you know Bay Area um, stuff and and I started to really you know explore the connections between how I was feeling emotionally and how I was feeling physically. And, um, and one of the big things that happened was that I decided to quit my job and travel for a while. And a lot of that was because I was trying to figure out like, what, you know, what do I want to do long term? Like what's really important to me? Um, and that was a big discovery process and a journey. And I wrote about it, like all kinds of things. And, um, I don't really know when it happened, but it like I you know I met my husband um, I think in 2011, and uh, we started a company together two months later because we're crazy, um, and uh, and that was our first company. So that was not job portraits. That was a more of like a classic venture backable startup. Um, although we never took funding or anything, um, and 
that was really a company based around like uh, collaborative uh, creative projects because that was the world we were both in like photography and journalism and those kind of worlds and um, I think that he and I both were just like fascinated we're sort of like anthropologists at heart I think we were just like fascinated by the way people interact especially when you put them in groups um, and and what happens when you team them up and especially when you like point them towards like a, a goal together right and maybe there's different personalities and so I just remember saying when we started that first company I remember saying like um you know uh, like like emotions and like feelings and personal work are not the icing on the cake at work like it's the cake like like that is like the bulk of what you're doing um and I just think, you know, maybe this is just my own personal experience, but I just, for me, like, I just knew that, like, the emotional component of work and, like, was I satisfied? Did I like the people around me? Did I feel, you know, like I could be myself at work? Like, did I feel like I could be sort of fully actualized? It was just, like, always kind of at the forefront of my mind. And so when we started Job Portraits, um, I don't even, again, like, I don't even know that it was this conscious thing that we did because it was just Jackson and I at the beginning, right? So it was just kind of us doing like something we wanted to do and we thought would work and and like, but as we started to hire other people, um, you know, we just did things that we just thought were like human. Like we just, you know, I don't know, we would have one-on-ones with people and we would talk about things that were going on for them personally and emotionally if they wanted to talk about that. And um, it wasn't just about work and, um, and, and it was only as like people that worked for us would say things to us and would be like, you know, this, like, this has never happened for me at work. Or like, this is incredibly like weird and rare and like unusual, like what you guys are doing. That Jackson and I were kind of like, oh, like, it seems like what we're doing is kind of, you know, like is unusual. And part of it is like, neither of us have really worked in big corporate environments. So I think we also just like, didn't know what other people did. Um, we didn't have anything to compare it to. We were just doing what seemed normal to us. Um, so yeah, anyway, sorry, that was like a super long uh, way to get to this. But um, for me, I just think like we spend so much of our time at work and especially I think for millennials and the generations after like we've really had this message our whole lives that like our work should be like fulfilling and satisfying. And so like, of course we're gonna have like feelings about what's going on at work. And um, I think the other thing that happened is that I, I had a couple of jobs before we started our business where um, I realized that like most of my energy was going into dealing with like negative interpersonal interactions with people at work as opposed to just like doing my job. Um, and there was actually kind of like a, a weird thing where like someone sort of tried to like use me to like put a sexual harassment thing like on one of my managers that like I didn't see at all, but like someone else on the team, like, and I was just like, and it was right before I left and I was just like, man, like I just, it's like, I don't wanna work in offices anymore. Like, I don't wanna do this where like, I'm spending all of my time just like dealing with like weird interpersonal stuff with other people. 
I also like to take naps. So I also just like hated being in an office. I was like, this is so unproductive, like whatever. Um, and I literally haven't worked in an office since 2009. Like, I'm just like, I can't do it. It's like not for me. Um, so yeah, so I think I also, I think I had some negative situations where I also realized that like, because we aren't talking about like emotions and feelings and like how we, how we affect each other interpersonally at work, there's like, all of this wasted time and energy that could go towards us like doing good work but instead we're sort of like pissed off at this guy who like talked over us in a meeting and like nobody said anything about it but we can't say anything he's like he's our boss and like you know like whatever and i just felt like that's just like so stupid and like wasteful and like frustrating um so i think that we put a ton of energy into like how do we get that stuff on the table and like clear it out so we can all focus on what we're like supposed to be doing, which is, you know, working. Um, so yeah, I guess that's like, that's where it came from too. I love that you mentioned so many points. So I'm taking all the notes over here. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we can touch everything within 45 minutes or an hour. Something really stood out to me the most, you spoke about emotions and how your energy went towards negative interactions. I feel that, not I feel, I've, I've witnessed that a lot in corporate setting or in company setting. Even when I used to work on, on, on a, it, a university, it's, I felt that 99% of the time was always dealing with other people and it was just this drama. When I say drama, it was intentional or unintentional drama. And it could have been related with sexism. It could have been related to uh, cultural domination, or it could have been related to power. And you are so right. Energy gets drained into dealing with, with people, you know, where it's the mentality of, you have to agree with me. If you don't agree with me, then you are against me. And that causes this, whole tug of war between how can we understand each other? How can we truly create that aspect or that space that we all speak about diversity and inclusion? And that's the diversity and inclusion is not inherently present at the workplace. It's present everywhere. But it's so important to talk about emotions. And, and I know Annalie, we spoke about this a few talks ago about generations which mickey you mentioned it as well uh, there's a, a large generation a group of various generations present at the workspace not just workspace in, in reality itself and some people say <clears throat> oh don't be such a, i'm trying to find the right word <laughs> don't be such a carrot um in a man up or or in a boss up and and swallow your emotions but <laughs> There are repercussions to when you do swallow your emotions. There are other repercussions like health. You mentioned about you know you are having stomach problems and anxiety and stress. So let's. I'm just curious to learn more about from both of your perspectives, right? The importance of emotions and how can we speak about our emotions in a very safe manner. Without, I'm not going to say without offending anyone because everyone gets offended nowadays, but how can we speak about our emotions in such a way where it becomes a collaborative space? Mm -hmm. 
I think, um, I think that that I like agree with a lot of what you said. And I think it was really illuminating Mickey, because you're talking about how, you know, there's things that I wanted to do and like things that, you know, I felt. And then I also feel like your reaction to her, like, oh, sometimes I just wanted to like take a nap or like do these things. And I think it's like the element of like emotions and self-care that I feel are absent at a lot of um, places. But I think that I think emotions aren't a bad thing. And I think we live in a society where it's like, emotions are like you know try to like put them down put them down so much and then we get to this point where we like erupt and it, then we have like so much emotion and then we don't know what to deal with like what to do with it because we've been putting it down this entire time so i think it's just acknowledging like how you feel and it's about having like the workspace where you can say like creating the environment and sometimes it takes like just the first person to be like i feel this way and or that makes me feel like this or when you like the words that were said made me feel this type of way. And I don't think it's a bad thing because like emotions are like, it's a natural thing. And I think what's important is not just, you know, feeling it's just, what do we do with these feelings? What do we do? If I feel sad at something that like somebody said, or if I feel angry or frustrated, it's not like just the feeling. It's like, what do I do? Am I going to do something productive or am I going to wallow? Like, what's the next step? And I think that's where we need to, like, think about emotions, not just feeling, but, like, actions attached to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it, it's so hard because um, our society in general kind of doesn't know what to do with emotions, right? Um, and so to ask people to suddenly be really good at responsibly knowing, sharing, and, and sort of dealing with their own emotions at work is in many ways unrealistic, right? Because we're really never taught that unless you're really lucky, right? And, and you're in a family that's like incredibly like, you know, uh, emotionally aware um, and things like that. But, um, you know, they're not, they're not things that I necessarily learned. Like my, my parents are wonderful and we had a good home life, but it wasn't like they sat me down and were like, this is what happens when you're angry. And like, this is how to, you know, like what to do with it and whatever. It was like pretty classic sort of Midwestern family. Right. And, um, one of the, you know, one of the gifts that I've been given is like, when I moved to the Bay area, I connected with, um, a community, actually this like a uh, dance ceremony that I'm now a facilitator of, and especially the woman who um, birthed that ceremony has become a mentor and friend of mine. And um, she's really taught me a lot about emotional work. Um, and, you know, the big thing that I learned from her and from my own experience is exactly what you're saying. Like, I think we have this whole, um, this whole community, this whole society built around like, you know, feelings and emotions are dangerous and bad. And so we need to, you need to like exert your will over them, right? And like control them. And if you, if you can't control your emotions, you are weak, you have, you know, like there's all of these like stories that sort of go around it. And what I've learned in my life anyway, is that like, you don't control emotions right like if you try to control emotions like they control you um and so like really the only way the we say a lot like the only way out is through right like the only way to actually move through a, a, an emotion is to like really feel it and acknowledge it and sort of you know ask what it's there for and only then does it sort of like relax and be like okay you heard me like, I don't need to be here anymore. Um, but I think we have the, like, this, like, false sense that, like, oh, we just, like, we control them and we keep them down. And then, in my experience anyway, like, because I did that for years. I did that for years. And it made me physically ill. Um, it also made me really 
sharp and mean in ways that I didn't mean to be um, because I would be like bottling up, bottling up, bottling up. And then something would trigger me and I would just be like, boom. And it would like all come out as like something really mean um, that I didn't mean, I didn't want to say, like whatever. But it was just like, because I didn't have another way to like let it out. Um, and, and the other thing is like, I think that's why we see so much just like violence and unconsciousness and like cruelty and all of those things because people don't have like a way to express these emotions that's like safe and healthy um so just to say like you know i think when you when you try to think about how to do that at work like it is really scary and it's hard because most people don't have the muscles to themselves already to like know how to talk about their emotions safely and, and not put it on someone else and not sort of like lose it and go into process and stuff like that so part i mean part of it is that like we we vet people really carefully for like a self-awareness for like doing their own personal work for like taking responsibility for their own emotions like things like that um and i know that's not possible like in every workplace um but the other thing that we do which i know i think we talked about before too is just like how can you create really like small contained spaces for people to share when they need to, if there's something going on for them. Um, so we often do like anxious, excited or three words um, at the beginning of meetings um, where it's like either you say something you're anxious or excited about or you say like three words that are kind of like how you're feeling. Um, and it just kind of gives people a chance to like get stuff off their chest so you can then like dive into the work um, that you're that you're meant to be doing. Um, so. I think it's really cool that you do that too, like the whole anxious and excited thing. Cause I think, cause Mila and I, we talked about like the generational thing and like mm -hmm. being a millennial, it's like, I feel like everyone and especially like the generation like below right, Gen Z, mm -hmm. right? Is that there? Okay. And it's just like, they're very open. Like this is like anxiety. Like I feel anxiety, I feel depression. And to me, I'm like, wow. I remember thinking that they were so really bold and brave with that. And I think it is like creating those spaces. And I'm really glad that like you've done that because I just think like, wow, there's so many people who are open about like their struggles with mental health and to actually have the space. I think it's just really healthy. And I think it does give people, you don't necessarily have to deep dive into those feelings, but just even if you can do kind of a surface touch on it, I think is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if nothing else, it also helps you like not taking things personally. Right. Like if I come into a meeting and I just got off like a really annoying call with like a family member or something like that, I could be in that meeting and be like kind of off. And then everybody could kind of be like, what's going on. It could throw the whole meeting. But if right. I come in, like, dude, I just got off this annoying call. I'm annoyed. Just like, don't take it personally. Like whatever. Um, you know, again, you're, you're avoiding those like little interpersonal, like, you know, sort of distractions that happen constantly. You brought up a really good point on the about you know how the, the younger generation generations that they are more open to to accepting right and well i'm not generations that oh not even a millennial i fall into zanial um and and it's so interesting i'm open to speaking about anxiety if i have anxiety i have anxiety and a lot of people of my age um i'm 42 a, a lot of my friends who are the same age as i am they tell me, oh, you need to swallow your emotions and you, you can't speak about your emotions or a lot of people, even on LinkedIn. Uh, today I posted something about how I have been battling with my anxiety for the past <laughs> few days or few weeks um, from some, a news that I got, which brought on uncertainties. 
and I've received messages on LinkedIn, you're not supposed to write that, no one will want to do business with you. Um, you know, if you do go out into, if, if for some reason, if your business does not, uh, you know, grow, and if you're looking for a job, no one will hire you. And those are the kind of messages that I've got. And messages I got were not from millennials or Y generation or Z generation. It was from my generation or, or higher than that, right? And, and it's, it, it opens up a whole new lens for me as to the kind of programmed mindset that we're still living in. And going back to the generational gap, um, that's a whole lot of tug of war that we're playing as to the, on the topic of self-care, mental health. And people say, oh, anxiety is in your brain or stress is in your brain. The stress is not in your brain. Even your souls get stressed, right? Uh, and it manifests in the form of tummy aches or fever and heart attacks. And some people go to the worst cases, cancer. But Mickey, to your point, uh, you mentioned a really important point as to, you know, you were bottling up anything that affects you, you used to bottle up and then, you know, that's an eruption point. And then when people see it as an eruption point, they misunderstand as, as number one, as, as being women, right? They misinterpret it as women are not stable. Women, women do not have an emotional balance, but that's not about being balanced, right? But when something, just like a volcano, like, you know, it just <laughs> compounds and compounds and compounds. And, and finally you erupt, but there's, everyone has got that point and that whole notion of, uh, even in school spaces, uh, and they're getting better at this, you know, you can't erupt, you need to, uh, you know, be, in order to be a better leader, you need to check your emotions. But, it's not about checking your emotions. It's about truly embracing it, right? And not just for ourselves, but for other people and, and creating that safe space. But I want to ask a question because I'm really curious and I am a little bit ignorant about this. What's the difference between emotions and feelings? That's a good question. Um, I, I use them sort of interchangeably. Um, I think you could probably make an argument that emotions are um, are maybe like the, the chemical thing that is going on in our body, right? Um, and that feeling might be like the story we attach to it or something like that. Um, I, I do think that one of the things that's been hugely helpful for me is to learn to um, try to disengage from as much story as I can around like the sensations in my body. Um, so even rather than saying, I feel really anxious, like just saying like, I feel, a, you know, there's a fluttering feeling in my stomach and it's uncomfortable, um, but, or saying there's a lot of energy in my body right now um, or something like that. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to like look up in the dictionary and see if there's like actually a difference, but, but I do think that, um, that we often conflate the, the just like the the physical sensations in our body 
with like what they mean and also how we express them right to other people and so like i can feel anger in my body that doesn't mean that i have to like express that in a way that's irresponsible that puts that anger on someone else or like affects them negatively right um i think certainly in my you know personal relationship with my husband i've learned a lot about the difference between being angry right and like acting angrily versus being able to be at a place where i can say i am really angry with you right now <laughs> like that was not okay that you said that but i can say it like from a place of like containment again it's not about like not feeling the emotion it's about like i'm being responsible for this emotion and i'm keeping it like where it needs to be i can still express it um, and again like i think that's something we are generally not taught in our culture at all um, like how to do that so going back to that point about um it, like embracing and you you mentioned about you know recognizing that two faces i am angry and acting angry and that translates really well to being irritated with someone and and embodying that <laughs> behavior i'm irritated with you and let me dismiss you let me speak over you let me uh, you know put you down and tying that to the whole generational gap how can we truly create that trust right how can we truly collaborate and this is not a schematic um, you know everything changes but I'm curious to learn from both of you, how can we create a space of coming together and, and accepting someone else's opinion, even when we are irritated with them? Because I know I've caught myself so many times and sometimes I text on me, I'm so irritated with this person, I do not know how to... <laughs> so, and, and I need that moment to text her or speak with my husband about... Uh, I'm irritated, what should I do? To get that feedback, okay, calm down, you know, remove yourself first and then engage again. Uh, that's what I do in order to truly have that space to, okay, how can I build that trust even though I do not agree with you or even if you look different from me, you sound different from me. But I want to hear from both of you, how do you create that space when we are irritated or when we are angry with someone and, and calming ourselves and not being angry at someone and just dismissing them. Yeah. Annalie, do you have thoughts? Oh yeah. So I've <laughs> oftentimes get, I feel like that was like the one emotion that I used to feel actually a lot more often, like was like irritation. And I always said that like, I came from like all the men that I've ever been around in my family, right? Like my grandpa, and my dad are always like consistently irritated and crabby. So I was <laughs> like, Oh, it's like a family trait. Um, but like, not really, but I find myself like, yeah, like getting kind of irritated in what I started doing, which, cause I realized I would just like totally just like connect. And if I like got irritated, I like, don't want to say anything. Like, let me just get space because that's actually really frustrating. And I don't want to, I used to always be like, I don't want to consistently feel irritated. So I would like, you know what? I just like, won't even engage, which is obviously not like a good thing to do. That's like not a good long-term solution. So like, I was like, well, how about like, just really just taking like a step back or like what I'll do is I'll go to like, usually like, you know, somebody I can trust who's like objective or like I go to like my mom and I'll be like, you know, this is like what happened. And I try to be as like honest as possible, like just giving really like the breakdown and then just asking for someone's like objective point of view. 
And um, I think I honestly feel like just explaining myself makes me feel a lot better. So that's like, I started doing, you know, just find like a trusted person, kind of like you do Mila. And then I also started kind of asking like myself, like, okay, if I was like in this situation, or if I was like an objective third party, like what would I say? And I'll ask myself questions like, are you being like objective about this? Is this like, did that person mean to hurt you? Like kind of questioning like my own thoughts, which can probably sound like not like I'm not trusting myself, but if I like ask like these, you know, kind of follow-up questions with the situation, then it's like, okay, maybe I did, I can see like where my pattern or thought process. And sometimes I ask myself, are you being like overly negative to this situation? Um, like, what would you say to somebody else who was in this position? And so I kind of like go back and forth through like a few questions too. And I find myself actually getting like less irritated um, over time. Cause when you start like asking those questions, you're like, oh, I'm giving myself time. I'm using, like, if I'm like, disconnecting I'm at least being productive in like my disconnection and so I think that's the difference instead of just like being silent and like not talking and like doing other things like occupy my time like I'm actually trying to kind of confront what's happening and I think that's the difference you know yeah those are I mean I think that's great I, obviously like any kind of distance right whether it's like physical or just like I need some time and space but also that distance in your brain right of like trying to be the observer and trying to say like what what am I bringing to this situation like how could I look at it differently um there's a, a friend and colleague I have who is also a, a really great leader and um he told me one time about he would he would instruct his team when they were frustrated with the situation or especially another person to say you know i want you to sit down and think of five reasons why that person might have acted that way that are completely legitimate right like okay maybe they were kind of mean to you but like was there maybe their kid was sick like maybe there was terrible traffic coming home like whatever just like an empathy exercise right um and i think that can be incredibly powerful too um the other thing i'm just noticing that's coming up a lot is um I don't know if you're familiar with this idea of transference and counter-transference. Um, and I'm, there's probably like professional therapists out there who will like tell me I'm thinking about this incorrectly and whatever, but I've been part of, um, of uh, Pathwise Coaching, um, which is like a executive coaching uh, cohort program for, I think I'm in my fourth year, Jackson and I have been in it together and it's a great program. And um, it's an it's a idea that was introduced to me there. Um, but uh, the way I explain it is basically like, it's, it's kind of that, um, it's the mental unspoken energy that you're bringing into an interaction, right? It's kind of your transference. Um, and then counter-transference is like how the person often subconsciously reacts to you. Um, and that it very often turns into this sort of downward spiral um, where you're, you're both sort of like doing this thing and you don't even realize you're doing it. And the thing that's super fascinating to me is that it often, it, it actually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where you like create the exact experience that you don't want to have. Um, so uh, for instance, like, let's say that you are a sort of micromanaging, like overbearing boss, right? Um, who uh like is constantly worried you have your own stuff you know like your your life position is that like you're kind of worried that other people are going to mess things up all the time and so you don't want them to mess things up but so what you do right is you go into the room and you're sort of like like hovering right like oh like like are you doing that and, and you're like checking them all the time and, and you're like whatever and you like actually make the people nervous so they actually make 
more mistakes, which is exactly what you wanted to avoid in the first place, right? But then that like validates your life perspective, which is like everybody messes everything up, right? And I have to just do everything myself and then like whatever. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think some of the things that we're talking about is like, oh, like if you're irritated with someone, they can tell, right? Like that's the other thing. I think we have this sense of like, I'm just gonna tamp this emotion down and like no one is going to know. And it's like, that's not how it works. Like humans are these like incredibly sensitive, right? Like receptors of like the tiniest, tiniest little, um, you know, micro movements on your face and like way you hold your body and like tone of voice and like all these things. And the idea that you could be irritated with someone and they wouldn't know it is just like ridiculous, but we all act that way all the time, right? Um, so the other thing I was thinking too, when you're irritated, that's like, I just think like being like, I'm really irritated with you right now. I need to go in the other room for like 10 minutes and like figure out a way for this to work better. Like, I'll be back. I don't hate you. We can still work together, but like, this is, you know, like whatever. And because I think there's also a way in which if we, if we, if we always just keep it to ourselves or whatever, it's like, people are feeling that and then they create a story and then like you go down this whole spiral again. Um, so again, I think just, and it's hard, it's hard to be in the moment and know that you're feeling a thing and be able to just like name it rather than act from it. Or like, I mean, literally it took me years of therapy to be able to go from like, I had a feeling two days ago and my therapist helped me figure out what it was to like almost in real time being able to tell what I'm feeling, right? But if you can get to a place where you can actually just like name it for the other person and not blame them and not make them wrong, I think that's really powerful too. Because I think it's incredible because that's when I started because I love that you're talking about like therapy because like I was, you know, talking about well, I was like doing research and I was like, you know, talking to like my therapist and I was like, dude, there are so many emotions. <laughs> like I like looked at this and I was like, I was just, you know, under the umbrella, like mad, happy, sad. And I was looking and I'm like, there's like 38 words for sad, <laughs> like under the sad umbrella. There's like, you know, 25 words under mad. And I'm like, oh, like... <laughs> I was like, I think I need just to download the PDF so I can say like, you know, actually like I'm mad, but under the subsection of mad, I'm like this particular word because there's so many things. So yeah, so I am like really with you and I've like, I've never heard of like transference, like countertransference. And I think that it's so real. And that's like, wow, like, what do you do with that afterwards? Like now that you know, like what that is, I'm like, wow, like, okay, so I know that I bring this mental energy. Like, how do I both acknowledge and then how do I like change my like just the vibes I'm giving off you know it's really hard to figure that out yeah yeah I was not exposed or I didn't have any knowledge until you mentioned that so thinking about the transference and counter transference and thinking about I used to be really bad I, it's like really really bad with my emotions it's when I would be angry I would show anger not like that. I wouldn't punch anyone, but <laughs> I would show that anger. Like if 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 someone dismissed me or or said my idea was dumb, I would really show it to them as if I would become so dismissive dismissive of them as well. And 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 the unspoken mental uh, caliber you mentioned just now. And we go down on this spiral and that was happening because I was bringing that energy into the space. I'm so irritated. I'm so angry. 
and everything that came out of my mouth was in the format of a victim. This was done to me, you know, look at me and blah, blah, blah. It took me, it took me a good 20 years to overcome that and, and attain that mindset of, I need to flip the script for myself and get myself out of that downward spiral um, rabbit hole or, you know, whatever hole, which is deep, dark and, and no ladder to climb up. And, and then, but that makes me think to come back to both of your points about disconnected and not engaging, right? And this is just not inherently present at the workspace, but in communities as well. People, people get irritated and, and disconnected and they do not go vote. Or <clears throat> even with friends, right? We get irritated with one of our friends who always says, this is where we're going to eat. You know, and then we get irritated, like, I'm not coming for dinner. We disconnect, we do not engage. And, and it translates really well uh, in schools as well, in universities. I'll, I hate that professor. I'm not going to participate in class discussions or even on campus. I'm not going to do my due diligence and express my vote, my voice. And same thing at the work workplace. I'm irritated. I'm going to disengage and disconnect. And that's a huge gap right uh, and both of you made a very good point disconnect recognize and come back again and that could increase engagement levels as to okay i'm irritated at you but let me approach it from a very objective manner so we can move forward together as opposed to pulling in many directions and trying to build something that's not going to be built and i feel that that's how a lot of projects whatever you know building homes for a community gets so delayed by our own um, counter transferable uh, attitudes yeah i mean absolutely uh i think yeah like the, the victim piece you were talking about is really interesting because um like i said because it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy it's really interesting where looking at transference and countertransference, it, it also shows us like how we're really participating in situations that we don't want to be in, right? And so I think especially I've found that if there's this thing that's constantly happening to me, right? Like, man, why does this keep happening to me? Like, you know, like that is always like an alarm bell that's like, there's a good chance that I am doing something that is somehow creating this situation, right? Um, and again, like it's a give and take, right? So it's not like it's all your fault. This is certainly not like victim blaming in any way, but I do think that there's a way that like whenever we get in that victim mindset of like this thing is happening to me this thing is happening to me i think it's it's worth exploring if there's a way that you actually are helping to create that situation that you're in um so i think that's a really powerful idea um yeah and then the idea of disengaging um uh of like going apart and coming back together um yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I wish that we saw this just in every part of our society right now. I think we're so, um, just like the idea of like unfriending people who offend you, right? Like even things like that, um, which, you know, and again, like I, I really like, I, I understand like both sides of it. Like I understand that like if someone is just sort of like 
coming into your personal space and like saying offensive things and like whatever like you have every right to boundary that and say like I, I'm not hearing that I don't want to it's just not good for me um but you know I, I do think that there's a way in which we're, we're getting to this point of being like anything that is uncomfortable anything that offends me in any way my first reaction is to just like eliminate it um, and we just, the box that we get to live in when we do that gets smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Um, and, and we don't, A, we don't, like, we're cutting ourselves off from other people, which I just think, like, as humans is probably never a good thing. And we're also denying that other person the opportunity to, like, hear our perspective or, like, hear that what they're saying doesn't work for us or, like, maybe try and adjust how they're thinking about something or being willing to adjust how we're thinking because of what they're saying, right? Um, and I just think, like, for me, like, the, the most important growth that I've done in my life is, like, with other people who, like, think differently than I do and, like, having to work with them and having to figure out together and having these conversations about why I'm irritated or what they're doing or whatever and being like, oh, wow, like, you have, you see the world in this totally other way than I do. Like, that's crazy. I never would have thought of that, you know, or like, I, I've been listening to, um, Talking with Strangers, the new Malcolm Gladwell book, which is really wonderful. And I just listened to the part also, like the funny thing about emotions, like all those hundreds of emotions right in that card. Um, we all assume that, um, that we're transparent, that like when someone feels an emotion, we know what it is immediately because of the way their face works. Turns out they've done all this research, not true at all. There is like no consistency about the way that people understand, like the way our faces look and the emotions that connect to them. Um, we have some like some like basic versions that are largely culturally adopted. Um, but also even just the idea that like, you know what another person is feeling based on what their face looks like is just false. Like it's just wrong, like you don't. Um, but, but of course we assume that, right? Um, we, we kind of have to in order for like society to work. So again, like I think everything for me just comes back to like knowing how you're actually feeling, being able to say that out loud to another person in a way that's responsible. Um, and then being able to set your own boundaries and say like, okay, right now I need to just go be by myself. Or like I need to not talk to you for a while or whatever, but then always with the intention of like wanting to come back and strengthen the relationship, right? Like I'm not going away because I hate you and I want this to end. I'm going away because I value this relationship. And if I don't go away right now, I might say something that harms it in a long-term way that I don't want to. Yeah, I think it is really finding that balance between you know, cause I, I cause that's what I always, always get to. Like when I thought about like, you know, some troublesome friendships and like evaluating like, okay, so do I just need the space or do I need to end it completely? So I think that I like, what I go to is like, okay, so eliminate all like the exogenous things. Like, do I feel safe? Do I feel healthy? Like if you have like an adverse reaction to literally walking to someone's door or like you feel like sick to your stomach, like that's probably a good way. And I think that because we've, you know, kind of bringing it like fuller circle, right, is like, because we've like, put away those emotions and like those feelings that now we're like, oh, so when our body is like, literally giving us like actual, like notes and like, you know, trying to tip us off, like this isn't good for us, like that's the way. So I think what's like, for me is like, really just listening to what my body is trying to tell me. And like, really being in touch and like, being like, I trust you, 
because that's like when we shut down our emotions so much, I think that we are essentially telling ourselves like, I don't trust you. Right. I don't literally trust like what my body is saying. So I think it's about like sort of, you know, getting us like with our body again, like really aligning like our body and our mind together. So I think that's like what is like driving for me and what I'm always trying to work on is like trusting myself and like knowing what I'm feeling to decide what like those boundaries look like. Yeah. You said an interesting thing too at the beginning that for me actually does come back to work really seriously, which is like you said, like, you know, am I, am I healthy? Am I rested? You know, whatever. Can I, can I sort of eliminate these other factors? Um, And for me, one of the huge problems with most, most workplaces is that just, just the amount of work, just Mm -hmm. the hours in the day that people are expected to work. And especially the way we work where we are like constantly connected, right? We're there's like just constant distraction. We're being pinged by Slack. We're getting emails. People are coming into our office, like whatever. Um, It means that we pretty much can never be in like a healthy emotional state, right? So that's the other problem is that like for us to expect someone to walk into an office and be in that environment for any period of time where frankly they're like, most people are, are not getting enough sleep, right? In any way. Um, they're working way too many hours a day. The way they work is just exhausting and distracting. Um, and then the idea that we're then going to ask them to like show up with emotional intelligence and being able to like recognize their emotions and like name them calmly and stuff like that is just like, it doesn't work. Um, and it's a huge part of why I think remote first work is like the future and and how our team works because you know you have much more control over like the flow of your day and you can take a nap if you want and you can start at 10 if that's better for you and you know like whatever um it's also just like not commuting so you have that much more time to like i mean i just went and did an hour of kundalini yoga before we talked right like that would have been an hour i'd be in the car for most people um and then also like you know, we track our hours because we do client work. And so we have to know how much hours we're working on different projects and stuff. And what we found is like, really, like most people on our team are, are between like 30 and 40 hours is where they're like actually um, most productive. And the people who do client work who have the most like different things all the time, it's much closer to 30 people that are like on the back end and they get to just like sit and like think about something for five hours, like they can do closer to 40. Um, but, but that's what, and then we just, we take those numbers and that becomes our full day, our full week. Right. So like my full week is like 32 hours or something like that. Um, and that's what allows me to still like show up and be a healthy person. Um, I just learned a fascinating thing about the 40 hour work week. Um, I hope this is true. I haven't, I haven't checked it, but it came from a very reputable source, which is that people think that the 40 hour work week was instituted by workers who were like, we don't want to work longer. It was actually instituted by business owners because they found that if you let people work more than 40 hours, the amount of mistakes and problems goes up exponentially for every hour after 40 hours. And so the idea that we are working most companies in the Bay Area, a normal work hour is 50 to 60 hours. And the idea that there aren't huge mistakes being made and huge costs being paid, not just in individual emotional well-being, but in like the well-being of the company, I think is like really wrong-headed and unfortunate. 
So I'm also kind of curious because I always like thought about like what does the workplace look like in different countries and like for your company like what is like vacation and like what do benefits look like like what do you offer people to make like the best workplace and this is not like this is like my own information because like you already have like you know 32 hours works best for you and like what does you know vacation time look like or things like that totally I mean we do we do an interesting thing with vacation which like I hope is not illegal or anything um but we we give people we give people so uh I have to think about what it is we're pretty generous I think we have four weeks off anyway of vacation time but then what we also do is rather than like saying there are like holidays off for the company we actually just take like the usual amount of like holidays and the holiday days in the year which is like about another two weeks it's like another 10 days and we just give people those extra 10 days um and so we say like look if you want to work on thanksgiving because it's not important to you great like if you want to take off a holiday that's not like generally recognized by like most Christian white people in America, like, great. But I, as a leader, do not want to be the one in charge of saying that, like, this is an important holiday and you should get time off, and, like, this is not. Um, So mostly we just trust people (laughs) to, like, make their own decisions about things uh, is what it comes down to. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, the the thing with benefits is, like, we pay 100% of health benefits. um, And we do that even for some of our uh, employees that have, like, other kinds of arrangements with us um, that are not technically like a salary position. Um, But we just, um, we know how much stress there is, especially in this country around insurance. Um, And we're big enough, you know, we're just big enough that we can get like a better rate than most people can get for themselves. Um, And for most of our people, like just the, the stress relief of not having to think about it and worry about it is so huge um that it's like a hundred percent worth it to us and like their own mental stability and like yeah, you know lack of stress well, such uh, uh, and that's one thing that really jives with me when when mickey first shot that you <laughs> shot that you still pay insurance to to people who do not work um the full 40 hours i think that's such a humanistic way to go about it um like you said <laughs> the state of healthcare and insurance is just oh my god um i I can't even find the right word to describe it it's i remember working in a bakery in wisconsin (laughs) first mnh bakery really get kringles but (laughs) but i remember i i was new to the u.s this was like 16 years ago and i was i just got my work permit i was trying to send out resumes and I just grabbed any job that I could get. I worked it in ONH, really family-owned business. And they're like, okay, you can work 32 hours. And, and I told that manager, my manager back then, I said, you know, I don't want to be stressed out because it's, it's I don't want to work 40 hours and, and feel stressed out and, you know, just come back home and feel drained. And she, and she said, okay, 32 hours. And I said, what about healthcare? And she said, oh, no, you don't get health care until you hit 40 hours. It's like eight hours. I have to work eight more hours to get health care. And that was so much of stress, right? And so much of stress. And then you, you depend on the state insurance. And that is another thing. When you get state insurance and you go to doctors, not everyone accept that insurance. And that <laughs> opens up a whole slew of camp firms. But I really like what you have implemented and going back to the 32 hour you know what works best for you 
and and recently uh, we did in, well, in my company we did a research as to in a 24 hour why not tap into the 24 hour work week as opposed to the four day work week and going back to both of your points how is it like in different countries right and uh, so many people passionately responded on my LinkedIn uh, was it yesterday yeah, yesterday <laughs> saying that you know um, some people love working long hours, yeah, but but that contains that. Let's look at that from a deeper lens, right? Some people love what they're doing because it's aligned with their flow state. It's aligned with their purpose, and not everyone works in such a way. Four day um, work week is is great, but how many hours are people working? You're going to have four day work week and still work forty hours or sixty hours or 80 hours and then what's the point of having three off days and you know it's not really three off days 2.5 because people spend half a day worrying about oh i need to go back to work the next day so a lot of people were like oh you can't you can't implement that but the thing is that i'm not telling everyone to implement the 40 uh, 24 hour work week but like to your point uh mickey and not only we have so much of variables technology we are so stressed out emails coming as it's it's not 10 emails <laughs> coming at us um sometimes 400 emails in our inbox and by the end of the day i do not even get to all of my emails and then messages text messages and messages on linkedin hey uh, you know can you do this for me or or guess that i i, I am going to be interviewing on my podcast or even just having a zoom call to discuss about you know what our contract i'm doing with them just all this demand from all angle just is coming at us at all time and that greatly shifts how we are being productive nowadays and and i don't know i i I don't agree with the 40 hour work week or the 50 or the 80. I've worked 70 hour work weeks with Amazon. That's why I left that career. It was really toxic for me uh, to a point where my health was like, my doctor was like, you're going to die. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a lot of people's experience. And, and you're right. Like, like really my husband is one of those people who like, he gets in flow and like, like when he has free time during the weekend, like he thinks about work. Like that's just like, that's what he likes to do. That's his, that's his sweet spot. And I think, you know, the problem is that a lot of companies are run by those kind of people and they haven't taken the time to stop and say, hmm, maybe there are other people in the world who like experience life differently than me. They just assume everybody wants to work that way and that that's what's best for them. Um, and as one of the people who is not like that <laughs> and very, very clearly not like that and not just not like that, but like, will be like you, I will be sick. I will be ill physically um, if I try to work that way. And I certainly will not be doing my best work if I try to work that way. Um, you know, I think that was one of the blessings of us working together is that like he saw, like physically saw me like not being able to do that. And I also saw him and being like, okay, like there, there are people that really do work best this way. And that's okay. I don't have to be mad at them. But like, I am going to stand up for that not being the only perspective out there. Absolutely. Because that's what I think about. Because <clears throat> when I would, I remember like I was in grad school. And like, luckily, the nice thing about grad school is you can kind of work whenever, right? Yeah. But um, I just remember like saying like, you know, I work really well late at night. 
So between like a lot of people, there's some people, cause I had one professor and she was like, you know, I'm like a morning person. I like really like it. I love getting up at four and I love to start writing at like 4 a.m. And I was like, oh wow, that's like, bananas to me, I can't get it. I was like, that's when like, I was like, oh, I love working at like, you know, starting at like eight, seven, eight, nine, like those periods. And I'll work until like three o'clock in the morning. And I was like, that's just when like my brain really works. And then my body is like, okay, you're done. Like my body will shut it down and I'll know. And she's like, well, how are you going to work in the real world? And I was like, uh, I mean, you're getting up, you know, you're getting up at four and like, that's, I mean, office hours are like nine to five. Right. So like you are still like, we're still like, you know, out of what is like the norm. And so I just think it's also like being open, but like also like if someone works differently, just being like, all right, like, cool. Cause I remember like, am I supposed to feel shame because I work late at night? Like what, like when you say those things, like what is like the intended reaction? So I think it's also like understanding and not kind of being a jerk a little bit about it. Right. And so, you know, I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I regret telling you about my work, my work life, you know? Yeah, just a, a really like a tangible small thing that we do um, at Job Portraits is uh, when someone joins the team, um, we actually have them fill out this sort of like questionnaire that's all about like, when do you work best? Like, how do you like to be communicated with in different situations, you know, stuff. And that's that goes into sort of like a internet thing that everybody can see. Um, and so like, yes, absolutely. Like half of our team is like totally the like, eight to midnight workers and like half of our team is definitely the like get up at seven and like work before people get online um and so the other thing that we did really clearly is that and we you know you have to reiterate this like over and over but also like people will message at those times that are outside of work hours um and so a we strongly urge everyone to turn off their like slack notifications outside of work hours so they just like don't see it when that's happening but b if they do see it like just because i messaged you at midnight does not mean you should respond at midnight right. Right? even if i'm the boss or like whatever like it's just like that's when i happen to be working and i'm getting shit done and like you respond when like you're back online and it makes sense for you a lot of companies do not do that and yeah if a superior messages you at midnight like you feel like you need to respond mm -hmm. at midnight and so people are yeah i mean people like however many hours they're working people are also on slack and messaging from like six in the morning until midnight, like at some places. And that's just like, your brain is not meant to work that way. Like that is craziness for your nervous system. And that makes the reality, the new reality, right? It's like, Amelie, you mentioned about, you know, the real wall, but what is reality? What is real wall? And everything is shifting in there. Like Mickey, you, you have a great system, you know, like we spoke about. The flow state, the flow state can be someone working from 7 to 3 a.m. It's, yes, I get up in the morning, but that does not mean that I'm ready to work. I'm ready to drink my cup of tea and speak with my husband. We spent about one or two hours just sitting in bed, just speaking with each other, drinking tea. I value that moment. I get into my space like about 10 a.m., 11 a.m., and then I'll work for what? three or four three hours not in four hours but i need to have so many breaks in between and i'll take a nap and then we'll cook together we'll eat and then that's my flow state everyone's flow state is different that's the reality that is what the reality is becoming and and mickey you're you making such a great example and embodying the great example not just in a schematic form right you're really executing it 
in so many levels and that propels to unleash your teammates unlimited potential and i'm so thankful for you to join to be joining us today with Arnelie as well before we go do you have any words of wisdom that can spark someone's spark not someone's but just kind of like hey let me help you trigger think about this how you can unleash your unlimited potential um I mean, honestly, I think I think the biggest thing of of being able to unlock your your potential is um, is resting, <laughs> like actually sleeping as much as you need and making time for rest in your day, in your week, all of those things, like really prioritizing that. And what that allows you to do, I think, is to be present to your own emotions, your own physical feelings. Um, and so I think anything that helps you do that. So also like yoga or meditation or therapy or journaling or, you know, whatever that is that helps you be able to connect with your, you know, your emotional state kind of in the moment um, is incredibly powerful. And then, um, and then I think learning how to share that emotional state in a responsible way. Um, there's lots of great resources, but one of my favorite that I think is just always a great touchstone is nonviolent communication. Um, the Art of Nonviolent Communication, I think is what the book is called, and a lot of our team reads that book. Um, and so I think that would give everyone like the foundation to come into any interpersonal interaction um, kind of as like the best version of yourself. And for me, interpersonal interactions with other people is how I grow and like how I become like the best version of myself. So for me, like that's where all the potential is, is figuring out how can I be in relationship with other people in like a healthy way that allows me to grow. Beautiful. Thank you, Mickey, for coming on board and sharing your heart and your mind and help listeners and viewers for the two minutes or three minutes that we're going to put on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, tap into their unlimited potential.